It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Colby Draper, Jason Preston, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero Live. Jason Preston, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero Live. What is going on with that? All right, can you hear me, gents? Thank you for coming on today. And thank you for coming on at such short notice on this live broadcast. This is a rare event. Keep it real. Taking a leaf out of the American Masculinity podcast book. Right. He's got the shirt. <laughs> Why don't we start off, and either of you two rapscallions can, can kick off with this. When did it become okay to not show up? and be a man of your word. Um, probably when the feminist, feminist movement uh, took hold. That's probably when it, um, when the decline of men started. What, you, what, what would you say, Jason? Well, I think, uh, honestly... If you want to know my honest entry, I think this all had to do with uh, fatherlessness. Fatherlessness issue. I think we we have an issue that has gotten progressively worse. Worse of boys growing up without a father in the home. Uh, Yeah, I think that's the role of the father. He's boy's responsibility. He's boy's on the word. He's boy's work ethic. He's boy's discipline. He's you know. That's that's a father's role to teach those things, and I think as we've seen the collapse of the family and, and the and the father disappear off, off you know the uh, off the radar from as far as family goes, raising kids. I think we've seen a lot of these issues progressively get worse in this in this country and, and world. So to me, I would I that's so why I trace it back. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know is the answer, but I, uh, I wanted to share something with you both, and, and Jason and I had an opportunity to talk about this slightly earlier today. There's been a number of instances recently, and this is targeted towards men, 
right? Nothing to do with the ladies. We love our ladies, love our women, where they've looked me in the eye, they've grabbed my hand, shook my hand, and made a commitment to follow through on something that on both occasions they requested of me and then ghosted me. And I, I claim ownership and I claim responsibility for that happening, but it still doesn't make it okay. And, and it's gotten me to the point where I'm, I'm losing at times, or at least at the moment, I've felt like I've lost an ability to use my intuition and rely on it because I'm, I'm expecting people to show up in the way that I am. And I'll be the first to put my hand up and say that I've made mistakes in the past. Absolutely, I have. But I'm doing a much better job of at least owning up. And if I do make a mistake, getting on the phone, having a conversation, saying, hey, look, this is why it happened. I'm really sorry. You know, I understand the relationship's severed. Is this just me? No. No, and I don't think it's strictly just a male versus female. I, I think it, it, it also, the female is at same problem, right? I mean, my wife talks about the same thing. She makes commitments and the women don't follow through. I think it may just be the society that says that's okay that you don't have to follow through on commitment. It, it, I, I think there's a larger problem than just a male problem. I think it's society in general. You know, I, uh, I'm actually going to just come in and say this is a male issue. This is a masculine issue. Um, and remember, men and women both have masculine and feminine in them, right? Men are not just all masculine. And, you know, and women are not all, we all, we, we have both energies in us. Uh, and you need both energies. Men just have more masculine energy and women have more feminine. So, so, so what you have to look at is order. You know, what you're talking about, reliableness, order, following through, that, that's, those are masculine traits, are they not? Again, not this, I'm not talking men or women, but again, the, the masculine is, it is order. That is the very definition of, of masculinity is order. And so this, this is, it is moving towards completion. It's getting something done. It is, it is, it is seeing the vision through and whether it's you know whether it's manifesting it in women or manifesting in men if this is a masculine trait that is that we're talking about that is that we are seeing a deficiency of and to me i look at if we're if, if there's if as a society one of the dominant traits of masculine energy is missing i i would again i trace that back to where should that be learned it's not going to be learned from the feminine, the, the mothers. That's, that's, that means, we're, that's again, that's a symptom of the, of the lack of the father in our society, the lack of the dad sitting down with his son and his daughter saying, hey, you know, let's put together a strategy. When you give me your word, that, that means something. Uh, you know, we have politicians that are not good male masculine leaders. I mean, from politicians to, to Hollywood, I mean, most of our leaders are horrible examples of men. I mean, none of, none of them are have that kind of integrity that we're talking about. So yeah, it's it's lacking in our society, but it is but it is a masculine trait that is very much missing. 
Yeah, I think it's a wonderful point. And, and gentlemen, maybe for the folks at home that haven't had an opportunity to, to know you guys prior to this, if you take individual time, take as long as you need to just to go through some of your background, maybe if you had both parents growing up and to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, I did have both parents, still have both parents alive, thankfully. Congratulations. Raised, thank you. Raised uh, six kids in the family, so it was chaos all the time. But my dad was always around. He was always, he was heavily involved in our lives. Still is. Um, then I grew up, I uh, got a degree in business, then went on to be a lineman for the uh, power company. And worked there for about 16 years and uh, jumped over to the stock market, quit my job, jumped to the stock market. And um, then uh, I met Jason. And his story is awesome. And from there, we um, everything took off and, uh, and here we are now. But my life has been, you know, I, I often think, you know, I don't have that cool story, you know, that that background of oh I went through these trials and um, it was hard and I came out from on the other side which a lot of people do and they're inspiring to a lot of people my life was I hate to say it was easy but I was blessed and it was it was it was awesome right it still is my life is still great I still have so much gratitude for everything in my life so I don't really have that 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 story of you know changing direction in my life but um, but obviously you know my big turning point in my life, though, really, is in 2017. I went to India. You ever been to India, this way? I have, yeah. Yeah, I went for a wedding in 2005, uh, Goa oh. and uh, Mumbai. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, the weddings there are unbelievable. But <laughs> yeah. I, went there, I went there, and I see why Bill Gates says you have to go there every year. Bill Gates is a big fan of going back to India every year. Is there something there? That will change everyone's life, right? I mean, how did you feel about it? Do you, you feel like it was life changing? What you, what you saw, what you went through, the culture? Oh, mate, we're going back in February of 2023 for an event, and I'm very excited to show Anna India. It's just an people are amazing, and they don't eat a lot of steak, which is you know it doesn't align with me, but um, I won't hold that against them. Oh yeah, that cow is sacred. Isn't it? <laughs> but it was it was life changing. I went there, and you know we went with a group and. Um, all this meditation and went and did all these different prayer groups, you know, with different uh, sects there. But, uh, I, I came back with a new uh, appreciation for life and how blessed we are what we have in America. I woke up like totally a different person from India being there for two and a half weeks to, uh, to coming back to, you know, just gratitude instead of just being miserable, right? So I had two kids with uh, my first wife, got divorced. That was hell. That was pure hell. My divorce was hell. So I say, oh, yeah, I didn't go through stuff. Well, divorce was not easy, right? Anyone that's gone through divorce knows for years and years, it's just a complete train wreck. Um, I will tell you one thing. This here, here, Here's the biggest blessing. Having time to raise my kids now has been priceless. I have two kids that eight, uh, 16 and 18, and they grew up. I, I, you know, I still have custody of my kids, but I didn't really get the experience because I was always living in the present moment, right? And then, or, sorry, I was always living in the future. I was always worried about how am I going to get my next dollar? How am I going to, how am I going to, 
you know, feed my kids and always worried about something, right? I never appreciated and loved every second raising kids. Seven years later, I, I meet my wife now. She's amazing. I have three kids with her. And being able to raise these three kids, that's the true joy. That's the true happiness in life. Especially for me. I, I understand it now because I, I raised two kids before, missed everything, and now I get to enjoy every single second of that. So that's that's kind of where I am. But Jason, he, I consider him my brother. And that isn't a compliment, by the way. Really, that's <laughs> my brother. But, uh, but he's a stud. And I met him, uh, what was it, 2020? 2019? Just before uh, the pandemic, during the pandemic. He's been he's been an awesome an awesome guy. Like tell this story. Well, one thing I would say, brother, is uh, never diminish whatever experience you had because what you what you went through is highly relatable to people that have experienced you know similar, and it's not relatable to people that have gone through <laughs> massive trauma. And we need that blend, right? We need that mix. And I would argue that being a lineman for the county is a fascinating career. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen plenty. Of, a, there was a song that used to be played on New Zealand TV. You might have heard it. Um, I am a lineman for the county and I drive the main road. Am I, is that anyone famous in America or is that a New Zealand thing? No, it's American. It's, um, and I can't think of the guy that sings it, but, yeah, it's, it's totally an American. Kenny song. Rogers? I don't know. Yeah, not Kenny Rogers. <laughs> That guy's a classic, though. But, yeah, I mean, being a lineman's awesome, man. Talk about uh, the ultimate American masculinity is probably being a lineman, honestly. And we're not talking about the NFL here either, folks. No, no, yeah. Not, not that kind of lineman. I mean, a lot of people think that. What? You're a lineman? Oh, that's so cool. What team did you play for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Utah <guy>. County. <laughs> yeah, he's a that's great, and, and uh, I know you. I know you're a big fan of Jason. I know Jason's a big fan of you as well. Jason, what's your deal, brother? What's your deal? You know, by the way, how's the how's Vaughn? Can you uh, hear me all right? I can. It's better now. It's better now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, my story is. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, re- really, I mean. A lot of adventure and a lot of uh, ups and downs. I uh, I will tell you this. Uh, Jace, Jace, just before just before you start, maybe get the mic a little bit closer to your mouth if you can. Yeah, let me. You love birds can share the same one if you need to. You know what? Throw uh, Colby on full screen, and we're going to switch that around. So there we go. All right, throw that on full screen. There we go. There we go. That's better. That better? Okay. A lot better. So yeah, I mean, my my story is uh, I've got a rebel soul. Let's just say that, and uh, I, I love freedom, and it's uh, it's. It's, it's, it's given me a, a very interesting journey in life. But, uh, you know, start off, my parents, just, I mean, I was just kind of normal troublemaker kid, always, you know, just growing up, always in trouble. One of the, you know, parents, 
and always uh, were in the, in the principal's office with me. But uh, had kind of a dysfunctional family. Uh, when I was 12, my parents got divorced. And it was it was a pretty traumatic divorce. Uh, my, uh, you know, my mom just kind of took up in the middle of the night and just, just left and didn't see my dad for a couple of years. So it was, you know, going through that eight, that time period of 12 to 14 years old, I didn't really, you know, my dad was not there, period. And my mom was constantly moving from one place to the next. Literally every, every few months we were kind of running and in hiding. And I didn't understand at the time what was really going on. You know, it's when you're young and you're going through stuff, uh, you're just surviving. You know what I mean? When you're young and, and you're going through hard times, you're not in a place where you can kind of say, how do I get through this? Or what's really going on outside of in, in the big picture? You're just, you're just surviving. So you're trying to make friends. You're trying to like, you know, not, you know, be a, you know, be a wreck. So I didn't, so a lot of damage obviously happened. You know, I ended up getting pretty big, pretty heavy drugs when I was, you know, 15 years old. Um, but, um, yeah, we had, we had a pretty rough childhood growing up. And fortunately, when I was about 19 years old, 18, 18 years old, I found mountain biking. And, you know, that was able to help me pull myself out of drugs, pull myself out of, you know, some of the problems, that, you know, the problems I'd gotten myself into, the friendships that I had that, that forged. And... <clears throat> You know, mountain biking became my identity. It, it's really, you know, it helped me get rid of all my old things. And I ended up competing at a national level, you know, in the top 10 in the country. And, you know, you know, got, got aligned, found some spirituality in my life. Uh, ended up, I, I was already a high school dropout. So after mountain biking, I ended up uh, getting involved in my church, going and, and sort of doing missionary work, coming back and, you know, going to college. I did did really well in college, got married, two kids, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like living the perfect life. And, you know, it kind of, you know, there was a lot of, let's just say there was a lot of damage that had been done that I didn't know was done. And there was problems I had, but I was not aware. Because, you know, when you're, you kind of feel like the way you see the world is the way everybody sees the world. And so there were certain things that were buried deep within that I didn't realize were uh, causing problems in my life. For example, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I could leave my wife and my kids for literally, you know, weeks at a time and, and never miss it. And I, and I didn't really understand why that was until later in life. But you know, there was there was just there was damage there, and, and uh, I just kind of plowed through, thinking, you know, I've got it all under control. Well, after I've been married, what, 15 years, um, on one hand, you, people looked at me and seemed like I had it all together. I was successful, had my own business, um, you know, had a, you know sold, started a business, sold business, I moved down the entrepreneurial path, living in Florida, kind of having it looked like it was a married dream. But underneath, there was there was some real demons that the world couldn't see, and uh, it was kind of like a, this uh, Jekyll and Hyde. And, uh, you know, what most people saw, the religious side, they saw this great, you know, spiritual guy, had got it all together, got the family. But what they didn't see was underneath the surface, there was a wrecking ball and a uh, animal that was getting himself out of control. And uh, after I've been married about 
I'd say 15 years, you know, everything kind of came apart. I ended up cheating with my wife. And, you know, I mean, again, I could talk a whole story about that. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was very involved in the church, very involved. I was a leader in the church at the time in Florida. And when my wife and I divorced, it was, you know, I went and talked to the, let everyone know my wife left Florida. She came to Utah. My girls, I mean, the whole world fell apart. And, uh, and I went dark. I went very dark. And I decided to run. I just ran from God. I was, I was in, in Miami, and I ran from God. I ran from myself. I couldn't look myself in the mirror. Uh, my business fell apart. I lost everything financially. Every, every Everything that I could lose, I lost. It was my family, my faith, um, everything of meaning. And I just, and at that same time, I happened to meet my current wife, Alexia. And when I met her, the first night I met her, I was like, holy cow, this girl's the most broken girl I've ever known in my life. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was like, this girl is, is I mean, she, and I'm not, I can't tell a lot of her story, but I will tell you this. I don't know anybody who's been through the pain, the abuse, the, uh, what she's been through as a child and, and as a teenager and all the way up to the time I met her. And, and so I was like, you know what? I may be a train wreck, but I can take care of this girl. <laughs> And, you know, at the time, I thought it seemed healthy, and obviously that was just an unhealthy thing to do, you know, the bird syndrome. But uh, we, the two of us got together, and she was running from her past, and I was running from my past, and we just, we burned down the city of Miami. And uh, that's, that's, it takes a lot to burn down that city. <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble, and we, I mean, we, we got very deep in, in every, pretty much every type of, you know, problem and, and darkness you can find it. And uh, all this time, my girls had lost complete respect. They, my girls were 15 and 13, and that uh, man that they thought they respected as a father, yeah, they lost complete respect for me. My family lost respect for me. People in the church lost respect. I lost pretty much everybody. Uh, in fact, I, I uh, at one time tried to go back to my church where I where I'd, where I'd been very involved, and I had a woman come up, this, this Haitian woman, and, uh, you know, because our church this a lot of the ghettos and and the beach it was kind of interesting you had very wealthy and very poor people together and this one woman came up to me and said jason i used to bring my boys to church every single week and you know these and these kids grew up in the hoods and there was no minute i mean it was when you went in it's, it's, it's yeah so she said i used to bring my boys to church every week and says and i used to point at the stand and i pointed to you and says she said boys that's the way you treat woman and uh she was just sobbing and she says what do i tell my boys now and i had two women actually could share a very similar experience with me uh, about how i you know let them down and i will tell you this you know when i when my life fell apart uh and it was interesting because um it wasn't just my life that fell apart uh it was I, the damage, the ripples went across. I mean, that whole, that little church fell apart, literally. And uh, my family, my friends, um, you know, I, the divorce started with my own family. So my sisters said, how could, you know, my brother, if he did this, and, you know, if he could turn to become like this, what about my, my own? And they lost faith in their men. Um, 
it was uh it was it just the 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 ripples fr from what happened to me the rippling effect that the damage it caused just went so far that honestly it it kind of felt like more than i could handle and and like i said i just ran and i numbed myself and just numbed myself in drugs and sex and anything i could to distract myself from looking the man in the mirror and facing uh what the consequences of my actions um are you still able to hear me by the way I got you, brother. I just got myself on mute. It gives me a bit of audio. I'm loving okay. this. So, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it basically I was, I had gone, uh, I went dark and I just, the only thing I, you know, I, it was all, all I wanted to do was, was be numb. I was completely un, un, unsuccessful with work. Again, I went from running my own businesses. I couldn't run it. I was actually trying to start another business. It failed. I ended up selling pest control. Um, you know, here I am supposed to be a, a successful adult. And ironically, I was uh, out selling, you know, pest control. And I'd be sitting on the side of the curbs and just, I couldn't even go face someone in the mirror, in the door. I mean, I was, I was so wrecked as an individual. And uh, anyways, I ended up getting a job being, being involved, getting involved politically, a political organization, which was a huge thing for me because it kind of brought me back to God because politics, freedom is, is, is very tied to God. Uh, liberty and God, it, they go together. And so as I started getting involved in this, you know, freedom type organization, this political organization that was designed around getting people engaged in Congress, it was a window for God or a, to kind of start to get back in touch with me. But bottom line, to shorten things up, um, <clears throat> eventually everything in Florida. I mean, my wife and I continue to just destroy things and, and uh, eventually God had had enough with us and everything around us collapsed. Um, again, my wife and I were together now and uh, for, we'd been together for a couple of years, our home, we were losing our home, my job, every, every car, everything was collapsing around us, everything. And around that time, it was like things were so bad. My wife was like, what's going on here? And, and she grew up Jewish and, and, and she was trying to understand why the universe was just like completely trying to destroy us because she could see it. I mean, well, you couldn't. It was clear that there were some forces going on outside around us that it was this is not normal. There was seriously, whether it's supernatural or there's something happening because literally like ever the world was collapsing around us in every possible way it could. And it was God basically literally shaking and trying to get our attention. And, and uh, bottom line is I, I knew in my heart uh, we needed to leave Florida and come back to Utah. And uh, so I told my wife, I says, hey, and at the same time, we start to find spirit. We start to talk about, you know, Christ. We start to talk, about, you know, about the gospel. We start talking about spirituality. Uh, you know, what's going on, you know, angels and, you know, what's really, you know, beyond the veil, what we see with our eyes. And she starts to become very spiritually awake, yet things kept just falling down apart around us. And we're like, you know, long story short, um, you know, we start praying in our relationship. I mean, we're still using drugs and doing all the things we shouldn't be doing, but we start praying and, and we notice it's, you know, well, yes, it's, you know, and we start talking to, you know, a, some a spiritual advisor 
And he, he's one that encouraged to start praying and listening to hymns. And we start doing that. And we're like, you know, we do feel peace when we listen to the hymns and when we pray, but it's like things are still rough. You know, it's like we felt peace when we could dope out too. So bottom line is that we just realized we have to leave Florida. And at the same time, we find out that a hurricane is coming to, and this was, uh, this was in 2017 when that, that last big hurricane came out there. So, I mean, it was a miraculous story. It was really a crazy story. The whole, you know, us leaving, we left with the hurricane, like the day we left, like we were packed out with the hurricane coming in. Everybody was evacuating Florida at the same time and people were running out of gas and out of water. It was very apocalyptic, but we come out to Utah and, um, you know, when we got out to Utah, it's like the minute we got out to Utah, everything changed. Like, like it went from the universe completely shutting us down to completely opening up financially. Everything just started happening for us. And, we, you know, we started becoming very close to God, which we're praying on a regular basis. And we're, and interestingly enough, we're still, you know, addicts in every single way you could imagine and still very much into our addictions. But I found it very fascinating that as, as addicted we as we were and as, as much as we were still living so wrong. God was very much in our lives and guiding us and giving us peace and allowing us to feel the spirit because he saw we were making progress, you know, because he was, he was kind of coaxing us forward. But, you know, it's really interesting uh, because, you know, we had this magical relationship, 2017, 2018. And then, um, 2019 came, maybe it was 2018, 2018, 2019, somewhere right in there. And all of a sudden this magical relationship we had just overnight fell apart. Uh, we'd been married now. We got married in 20, into 2017. And all of a sudden we went from this perfect relationship to like, literally like all of a sudden it was like, we had all these problems, like incredible problems. Like she was not attracted to me. Our sex life, which was always amazing, just overnight just disappeared. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like I had these problems, my first wife, like the sex issues, like, you know, and I was like, common denominators, me. And I'm like, what in the hell is wrong with me? And, and it was like, and I loved my wife and I was still head over heels for her. And she had completely lost attraction to me overnight. And I loved her so much. I was like, I was willing to figure out anything to get her back. And uh, that started a, a year and a half of really probably one of my biggest hells. And uh, because I was completely, you know, now she had turned away from me. I'd lost pretty much everyone else in my life and I had nowhere to go, but God. And the truth is I'd been pretty stagnant in my relationship with him. Once I got back to Utah, like I, we, we did, we made some minimal efforts, but it, we were still like the dog to its vomit, you know, going back to our old habits so I started reading books on masculinity. I don't know why I was guided towards that because uh, I knew our sexual attraction was off and I wanted her to be turned on to me because I'm a sex addict. So it's like, obviously, I'm going to figure this out. And, uh, you know, as I'm digging into this, I'm sorry, you know, it was like I, I spent literally a year and a half just reading philosophy and stoicism and, and just and really just turning to God like every morning. Like and what I learned through the process what was, you know, the story of Pinocchio, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a really powerful analogy about, it's about a boy who's a puppet controlled by things outside of him. 
He's not autonomous. And it's, it's a story about a boy who learns to be in control of himself, a real man. And uh, he starts off with, you know, the, you know, with these certain problems he has to overcome. And he overcomes these one problems. And he goes, overcomes his self-control and pleasure island. And he comes back and he's feel, got things figured out. And the last thing he's got to figure out is he comes back and his dad's gone. And so he goes to look for his dad. And, and, and do you remember where his dad was? His dad was in the bottom of the ocean. And so he goes, Pinocchio has to go down into the ocean. And he goes down to the ocean. Well, the ocean is like our subconscious. And he has to go down to the very deepest part of his ocean, the ocean and find the biggest monster in the ocean and face it. And, the, and, and then rescue his father from the belly of the well. And once he rescues his father from his belly of the well and he comes back, then all of a sudden he's finally now a real boy. And this was the principle that changed my life because, you know, through 2019, here's what I was realizing is, look, I was like, I, I cleaned up my life when I was 19, 20 years old. You know, I thought I, you know, I thought I, I've gotten my you know, shit together. You know, I was going to church. I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. And yet I end up following the exact same patterns my parents followed. You know, I end up d divorced. I end up with, you know, and, and it was like, what? And it, I, I was not interested in finding God again and then following. And I needed to figure out because I found God. And one of the things I learned about, I learned during the process is God's, yes, salvation is easy. God will, will, will forgive it you in, the, in a heartbeat. But it's, but there's something more than salvation, and that's fixing yourself. You've got, you know, you still have to fix yourself. You still have to overcome your addictions. You still have to overcome the animal that you were. And when you, and finding salvation, God doesn't heal all you, those, he may forgive you, but if you're an addict and you've got all these, all this baggage you've been carrying, you still got to go figure out why you're so effed up and un-eff un yourself, so to say. And that's what the story of Pinocchio is. And, you know, there's a, there's a really, so when he goes and rescues his father, there's something very profound there. And, I, and, and there's a really cool quote I read that says the, 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 the boy is the father to the man. Do you know, I've, I've never seen Pinocchio to that extent. I, I, I don't think I've seen it in its entirety. I can't have. I never, I never knew that story. It's deep. But think about that. The boy is the. It father. is deep. So where did where did I learn to be a man? It was that little fourteen year old boy. That's my father. That was the boy that that laid my foundations. It was that boy that experienced life, divorce, and all everything. That's that's. And so as an adult, once I've got things figured out to, to to fully heal, I've got to go back and I've got to heal that. I've got to rescue that little boy, who learned how to cope. Who learned how from every from 12 years old, every six months, leaving, 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 leaving his friends behind. Oh, they, I, I created some baggage throughout that. I learned to heal. I learned, I learned to disassociate from people. I learned to cut people off. I learned to not let people get close. I learned to protect my heart from being damaged as a child. The only way I could survive was to protect it myself. But what I never learned is how to it was how to really cope through that. And so the things I used to cope as a child, as a teenager 
were the very things that kept me enslaved and and put me in and basically ruined my life later. You, because you like on the surface of it all. This I presume this is when you're in Miami. You were a you were a bodybuilder. I'm guessing by the, some photographs I, I saw, there was some competitions that you were entering and maybe winning. I don't know. You, is that true? Yeah, that was that was when I was back here in Utah. That uh, I got, and that was the thing. It was like, you know, when I was in that place in that dark place, it was like, you know, I loathed the guy in the mirror. I didn't respect myself, and so the only thing I could do was go and you know, hit, hit the weights. Yeah, and you know, seeing my body transformed, it kind of like allowed me to, you know, because we all have the need to become, to become more, to grow. And while I knew as, as spiritually and mentally in every way I was collapsing in my life, at least in that way, I was like, I could, I could feel like I was doing something productive. And so, yeah, I mean, I was on this, you know, did, did very well and, and uh, was competing. My wife was competing, but inside I was an absolute, and I looked like a man and everyone who saw me is like all the guys, like, that's how you want to look. And, but inside it, the, but the real man was just a rotted out. I wasn't a man at all. Yeah. Is is that indicative of of most of the bodybuilders, the male bodybuilders that you've come across? I don't want to say all, but I would say this. You know, Colby and I were talking about this the other day. There's, we all have two beings within us. You've got the being that the world sees, that the world gives value to, the way the way I dress, the way I look, my profession. But then there's a being within that's my higher self, my inner self, my potential, my divine self. And one of the things I learned is that uh, when I was in my addicted self, it was all it was my it was my physical self, my sexual self, my, you know, my my need for certain emotions, you know, drugs, sex that ruled everything in my life, the way I looked, my physical body and my physical needs ruled everything. And one of the things I had learned through my, through this journey, I'll tell you something crazy that happened to me through this journey. I got into meditating because I was, it was everything. One of the things I learned is I had to stop serving the, the body and start letting my spiritual self grow. And I had a really cool experience. Uh, so I got into meditating, I got to stoicism, anything I could to self to master this. And one day I was meditating and I had a really profound spiritual experience um, where I started to have an out-of-body experience. And my spirit starts to come out of me. And it was epic. It was one of the most epic experiences. Like it was like I was so elated. And it is. And once my and, and so my spirit was starting to come out, all of a sudden I felt it pause, and I had this little dialogue with myself, and I was like wanting to. I wanted my spirit to go because I felt that I could sense its freedom. It sent it, it like it, I could sense it wanted to kind of come out and be free too. And all of a sudden, but it stopped, and it's like, what's wrong? And it just paused. It was, it was just there was just this quiet moment, and then my soul basically said. Uh, Jason, you have not been good to me. And uh, you know, it said, all these years, you've numbed me. You've ignored me. You've silenced me. Um, 
you've all but you i've you you've i've you've basically suffocated it so it had no power it's lived powerless within me like a withered vine and i recognized that and it uh, my my spirit said to me says jason let me lead your life it says i've i've seen god face to face i've seen the world's created i says i'm eternal and it says let me lead your life and uh it was it was a profound experience that changed me, you know, me from then on, and and I've ever since then really tried to <clears throat> allow that spiritual being within to be stronger than the, than than what you see in the mirror, if that makes sense. Really try to focus on listening to it and and feeding that spirit. Um, I mean, I, that, the reality is what I learned in 2018, 2019, those those darkest days of my life were, were the most profound things. I mean, that's where I learned why I haven't had addiction problems, why I learned, you know, why personally I was interested, was obsessed with sex. Um, you know, why, I mean, and a lot of it came down to, to my childhood. For example, I had an experience when I was running for office, by the way, I mean, on the, and how I ended up running for office, it's a crazy story too, but I'm running for office and I, my life been in, in complete order for, for some time now. And I've been letting that spiritual being rule. And one day I, I was, I was having a very rough morning and day and it was under a ton of stress. And I felt this huge desire to look at porn and I left, and I left my wife and, and I was, I was on the road and I, and I was like, what in the world is going on? And so I pulled over and I'm like, just trying to understand why am I feeling this? Like what's going on inside? Like, I haven't had an issue with this for a long time. Why do I feel this, just this, this animalistic like desire? And finally, I realized what it was. Throughout my childhood, because I didn't have a father in the home, whenever I was stressed, I, I went to mother. I went to mom, and, and mother made me feel better. Mother put her arms around me. Mom said, everything's going to be okay. Mother gave me comfort. In a different way than father does. What does father do? Father says, boy, you're going to be okay. Let's get your shit together. Stand up, pull up your pants. Let's, let's figure things out. Mom says, let's make you feel good. Well, when mom's not there anymore, what, where did, where do those men go? Where, you know, where did I go when things were rough after the divorce? Where did I go? I went to sex. I went to drugs. I went to things to make me feel good. And I realized the reason I was doing that was I was re- reaching out the, for the feminine. And what I needed in my life right now was not the feminine. I needed the masculine. And so I realized, no, I don't need my mother right now. I don't need porn. I don't need, what I need is I need my father. And I called my dad and he and I had had a, had, had a very on and off strained, strained and incredible relationship. It's been very on and off, but I called my dad and said, dad, I'm really struggling. Let me tell you what's going on. And my dad's like, Jason, you know what? You're going to get this through this. Let's, and, he, and all of a sudden it was the, that it, the desire was gone. I needed the masculine. But again, these are things I didn't understand that were going on in my life because the little boy was, you know, the, the, because of the way I learned to cope through things. So, I, I'm I'm completely dominating the conversation here, um, but yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I so when the reason you know Colby and I this American masculinity is and and the reason I'm so interested in men is because the more I've learned and I've spent you know years now studying mass you know the, what it means to be a man and then the masculine energy and the feminine energy and running for office and everything I've experienced over the last you know few years it is just it has made it very clear that there is a war on men 
that you know there's just as there is a war on freedom there's this this marxist push that's going on across you know with from you know the across the country part of this marxist push is to just you know the only way to take this country over is, is if you have a nation full of weak men you know nations rise and fall on the strength of their men and uh, the spartans were not weak men our founding fathers were not weak men but if you can destroy the family if you can destroy take the father out of society and take mass, take true masculinity and, and, and hide it from society and have boys growing up not sure what it means to be a man and acting in very aggressive ways and in some type ways and acting very, if you can destroy the man, you destroy the family, you destroy the entire, you destroy all of society. And the reason, you know, after running for office, you know, my, I have one objective and that is to fight tyranny. It is, it is, to, it is to save, it is to defend the constitution. And I have just come to realize the only way we are going to do that is if we can get men to stand up and be men again. And, and that's not just standing in the mirror and flexing and being buff guys. That's not just men being out there being I'm in control and follow me. It's it's men being in having learned who have learned to master themselves, who, who then are who then can influence society around them to where they have where society where they have the ability to make a difference in society. And so that's why Colby and I are doing this. American masculinity is our, is the whole world hangs in the balance. You've been, you, you came out of Australia. Australia is, is, is all but fallen. You know, you, you look what's going on in Brazil right now. You look across the world, even right here in America, the, the world is hanging in, in the balance. It is hanging by a thread. And if, and one way or the other, either if, if we are to save this, it is, we need men to stand up and be men, to be in control of their own lives, to be leaders in their families, to be good fathers, to be good stewards, to be good neighbors, to be good statesmen. We don't even know what statesmen are anymore. And if things do go south, if if the, we stop living the way we've been living, like kings and queens, and we go back to the way we things used to be before this 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 protected society we live so sheltered with electricity if things go back to the way they've been throughout most of humanity which they will the world be screaming for men that have strength for men that are strong that men who can handle the suffering for men who can handle the shit that is coming and who can be there and not just take care of themselves but can be pillars of strength for their families and communities so this world needs men. And so that's why, you know, Colby and our, our, that is our number one focus right now is, is helping men realize uh, this, this country, this world needs them more than it's ever needed them before. And so, and, and, and again, most of my story is, you know, it's, it's, I've done a lot of dumb things, a lot, made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned a lot of lessons and, and I've, and I've, I'm one of these guys that's just had to learn the hard way. And, and, um, but my, my but my lessons have really just taught me the importance of of I guess men learning to turn to turning back to God or their high, or a higher power and stepping into who they truly are and, and becoming better leaders. So kind of long story. Uh, <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, uh, th- look, this is the this is the reason one of the reasons many reasons why I wanted to have you two jokers on the show because. You know, it's it's how you're communicating and and how you're coming across. Um, I can put you back in the stream if you want, Colby. I can leave it out on the same one. Two on one's good. I like that. Um, and and what I find hilarious 
two things. If we'd met like 15 years ago at a bar in, in South Beach, we probably would have gone as, as well as we do now, just with a few bags of cocaine. Um, maybe not you, Kai, but... And um, and the other thing is that David Goggins was a pest controller, if you remember. Have you, have you read his book, Can't Hurt Me? There's a lot of parallels, right? And uh, and it's and what you've got now is perspective and you've got reference and you've got an ability to relate with people. And that's why, you know, you can I think you can see the book in the well, I can see it in the top um, right hand corner of my screen. My journey and Colby, you've read it my journey of, of similar stuff, but it makes us relatable and we need that in order to, to get through to the, to the men of our, uh, our generation because it, it really feels like it's getting away from us real quick, faster than I ever thought, and it's, and it's hard to keep up. What do you reckon? Yeah, no. I've talked too much. No, no, you're good. I, this, is, this has been great, man. I love hearing from you. What do you, Colby, you tell me. You give me your opinion on this. Um, it is, it's increasing at a speed that's astronomical. It really is. Um, I see it with my neighbors. I see it with my friends. I see it at the gym. Uh, men need role models and we're lacking good role models. I mean, you look at social media, who, who do we have for role media? Who are the role models that we're looking up to? Are they real men on social media? Who who are we looking up to? Right? Bloody Will Smith. <laughs> Will Smith, Roth. I mean, a bunch of guys that maybe Homer Simpson. Yeah, maybe Homer, maybe Bart. <laughs> but really, that's who our kids are being shaped after, right? They're not being shaped after their father because their father is either home, late, sitting on the couch after a long day at work, doesn't want to be bothered, uh, low testosterone. You know, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, guys guys 40 and older, I mean, they're pretty much worthless. They're just sitting on the couch laying around, not in their child, children's lives. Right. So it's got to start with the role model. You have to be a role model. And with American masculinity, that's part of our goal is to find role models, be better role models and really help men um, change their lives really, because what they're seeing on social media, including our kids, including my boys. I, I've got a 16, 18 year old and a five year old boy. And what they see on, on social media, that's not what a man is. That's not real men. Right. You know, one of the, I think one of the greatest dangers we have is, is uh, humans is, is, to, is the idea that we have things figured out. You know, we're, we're very afraid of the unknown. And so we quickly assign, you know, so we're very quick to think we know things. We're very quick to say we have it figured out. And that's what retards us. That's what prevents us from, from really understanding more of, more of what's of reality. And that's why you hear these philosophers, you know, these most brilliant minds saying that realizing that they know nothing. And I think one of the greatest things that we don't, we, we've completely lost is, what does it mean to be a man? I mean, I mean, it, it's a very, it is, it, it is a very powerful question. What does it truly mean to be a man? And of course, yeah, we know men and women, but, but at a deeper level, because it used to be that most societies had these these um, um, rituals 
that the boy at around once he's around you know 12 years old the boy has to die so that it's to, to become a man there's there's so these all these rituals where the boy goes out with his father he goes out with the men in the tribe and they take him through his this this very these very difficult experiences and every, every most civilizations had very different ways of doing it but it was all, they all had very similar traditions but it, but the bottom line is this boy went through things that were at the at the end of it after the, if you're going go through these immense suffering and struggles he came back and was no longer the child who was who who his mother took care of but that boy came back now as a man whose now responsibility was to take care of people and and that's always been a very a very uh, important process in the step in the maturation process of boys to men well you look at where we are today where you've got guys that are, have gone to college guys in their 20s that are still living home at mom, with mom that are still need safe spaces that still that are afraid of getting hurt that are afraid of you know of of, of words they're sheltered they they don't know, they're still they don't know how to provide for other people let alone themselves or themselves alone other people so we've lost that and and yet we don't think we don't we don't stop to think is there a problem with with men in our days is have we lost something and i think it's quite clear when you look at the divorce rate uh when you look at the problems in society when you look at issues laban like you talked about where you know men say hey i'm going to do this and there's no integrity anymore when you look at our politicians and they're all and they're all corrupt, self-serving, you know, bastards. I mean, when, when you look at how how this world is falling apart. And if the role of the man is to, if the masculine is to lead. Right. That is the role of the masculine. And again, women have masculine and feminine, too. But 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 the role of the masculine is to lead. And when you look at our leaders and you see the the, the collapse in leadership. On a political, global, you have to say there's a problem with 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 the men. There's a problem. Yeah, amen. And do you know? I, was, I saw I saw some numbers today, and uh, it was around health from another guy on social media, and and I wish I had them in front of me, but the numbers were were ridiculous. It was like. Uh, a huge percentage of the North American population were obese. A large number of children that enter high school are obese. The type 2 diabetes, the uh, a lot of the other chronic health diseases. And it's like, how, how can you defend yourself or your rights and your freedoms when you can't even look after yourself? And it's funny, it's funny Jason, you were talking about that, uh, that inner child, that spirit part of you, I did this um, healing plant medicine thing back in Florida. I think I told you about it five weeks ago or so. And she was communicating with my two-year-old inner child. And the inner child communicated to me, how can you raise a son, Laban, if you're not able to look after me? And and uh, ever since I've had that experience, I've been paying attention to my two-year-old inner self, right? And, and the two-year-old inner child is responsible, according to this wonderful woman, Roxanne Beck, that, that ran this thing, is, is responsible for all of my crazy ideas. You know, it's where a lot of the creativity comes from and these, these problem-solving um, 
ideas and and uh, fun ways to engage with my wife and and a lot of those other things because the grown up masculine mature guy you know can be a little bit boring is any of this resonating with you guys yeah i had a question though uh i i find it interesting you call your this this uh being within you a two-year-old when this two-year-old or this inner being seems to be responsible for all your most brilliant ideas yeah i look drop my mouse it's all right um I, i don't know exactly what, if, what the metaphor is or the parameters around what it is, but it's, it's that part of us that I suppose is, is, you know, as a two-year-old, I was a rat bag. You know, I was, I was climbing and I was stealing milk money from my family to go and buy lollies, like down at the local candy store, you know. Like it, it's that, that part of you that has fun and, and uh, can, can have joy. So... I don't know which idea specifically, but I, you know, one idea I had. Do you guys remember those Zorb balls? Do you remember the Zorbs? It's a Zorb, Z O R B, Z O R B. And you jump inside them. They have them in New Zealand and a few other places around the world. And you, and they put water in them and you, and they've got a smaller ball that you sit inside and then a much bigger ball that's, that's bouncy and it, and it's see through and it goes down the mountain. You're in this cocoon of thing, right? Well, I, I, we were at a party one night and I had this, this two-year-old child idea that you could survive uh, being dropped out of a plane f- or um, a hot air balloon in one of these things, right? <laughs> and 90, 98% of everyone said, no, nah, that's ridiculous. And, and maybe one other person said, oh, yeah, maybe you could do that. So, well, I, I emailed the, the CEO of the Zorb company in New Zealand and um, – and asked them the question about, you know, would you survive? And they very quickly warned me away from doing it because I thought you could do something with Red Bull and Extreme and yada, yada. Well, about a year later, I got a, a call from the CEO secretary asking if I'd like to meet up for lunch when he was visiting in Australia. And uh, he invited me out for lunch and we sat down. And here I am thinking he's going to, you know, uh, entertain this idea for being dropped out of a hot air balloon and, and what it, what must have happened is my name had got on a mailing list for potential investors and he took me out for lunch and he realised very quickly that uh, I wasn't a, an investor. I was just this nutcase from New Zealand that wanted to know whether I could survive. So maybe that's one example. I don't know. Do you guys get these ideas as well? Well, I love that idea because I've got a two-year-old, a two-year-old at home. So I know exactly what that looks like to have a two-year-old self, right? And and what it is, it's joy, it's playful, it's living in the present moment. He doesn't know about tomorrow. He has no idea about tomorrow. He has no idea that nap time's in five minutes, you know, and doesn't want to go down to, for a nap. He All he is looking for is pure joy and love, right? And so I, I love that you bring that up because being able to wrestle with him and really see what a two-year-old is like, or two or three or four, you know, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a five-year-old. So I I know what it's like with all those ages, but, but there's something that's there. That's that, that it's, it's, it's as pure as life gets right. Those ages pure. It's just loving life, living in the moment and not worrying about what happened yesterday. Cause he has no idea what happened yesterday, you know, unless he got hurt maybe. So he won't do that again, but doesn't worry about the, the past or the future. And it's living in the present moment. And that's where joy is. Right. I, I think that, that that's and that that is to me ultimate 
you know, wisdom, right? Because that is ultimate wisdom is, is, is to learn to live as a child. That's what Christ taught us to live like a child, to be present, to be, to, to be in the now. Um, and I, I think that being within us, you know, Socrates talked about it all the time. His, his the daemon, he called it. If anytime he, as long as he, it was his daemon or his inner, in his inner self that, that led him to his, everything he became. Uh, Napoleon Hill talks about his, his other self. So, you know, this, this being that that's within us, um, regardless of, of the, of, of, of the, of, uh, how we, whatever we call it, the fact of the matter is there is something I would, I would clearly say is a spark of divinity that, that when we are in tune with it, it, it we, we resonate at a higher level. We have ideas that we don't normally have. We play at in the zone. We, we, we find it and, and that being does understand presence because when we're distracted, we can't hear it. You know, when we're watching TV, when we're mad, when we're angry, when we're stressed out, that being, we can't, we can't hear that, 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 uh, that higher self. And we talked about this when, when we had you on the show the other day, uh, but oh, so this, if, if, if people could learn to let that higher self lead, would take very few people to change the world. And, and again, you, you look at some of the greatest minds in history and, and so many of them you start to look through. And, and, and I, I've got actually, I've, st- I've stored quotes from some, from some of the greatest minds. And there you wouldn't believe how many references there are to whether it's the daemon or the higher self or the other self or the divine self or the inner child. But there's clearly something within us. And the world seems bent on crushing that and having us play at a lower inner frequency in life. And I love both those points, by the way. You reminded me, Jason, I don't know whether we discussed this on, on the show. Uh, David Hawkins, the different levels of consciousness. Did we talk about this at all? You know what I'm talking about? So it's this, this little graph. And for those that are just listening, it's a, an upside-down pyramid upside-down triangle, and on the left, it's got, from the very bottom, it's like the different levels of consciousness that humans, they've set, so they've mapped this out. David Hawkins is a very famous guy. He's dead now. And uh, one, of his, one of his mentees is a guy, Dr. Daniel Hanna, who's become a good friend of mine, um, would be a wonderful guest to have on American Masculinity to explain a lot of this, right? But this affects male and, male and female. So down the bottom, it starts from hell purgatory, in between paradise, and then heaven, right? And on the other side, it's got the different levels of consciousness. So from the bottom, I'll read them all. And they're numbered. So from 20 to 1,000, right? And just to have a guess what these ones are, shame, guilt, apathy, fear, grief, desire, anger, pride, courage, neutrality, willingness, acceptance, inner light, inner wisdom, inner love, oneness, and that's sort of when you get to that self-realization, presence, non-duality, awareness, the, something they call the great void, divine grace and love union, supra-casual truth, and full consciousness. And, and what happens is apparently as, as you ascend, right? Now, I can tell from the time I've spent with you guys that you are in a, you're up that ladder a good chunk, right? I've been told I'm at 600, that con- that um, acceptance, I think it's called, right? And, and the further – you still got me? Yeah, yeah. 
the, the further up we go, the more of the, the lower-level people that we impact. So if you are towards the top, right, and someone like Tony Robbins was used as a reference, he's probably up in the, you know, in the top, maybe two or three from the top. And, and so he, his impact of being at that level impacts, I think, a quarter of a million people or 250 million people, I forget. So, so rather than trying to get the whole world to change, all we need, and this is what you were sort of touching on, maybe without even realizing, is we need a, a smaller number of men and women to, to change and to level up, to be able to positively influence the rest. I love it. That's hundred percent. You know, and one of the things we've got, we pulled the chart while we while you're uh, talking, and I love that one of the th- you know at the at the top levels of enlightenment and is is the ability to see things as they are, and not as you want them to be, uh, particularly your own self. You know, and I think to me that's what true enlightenment is: is to be able to see yourself as you really are to see your flaws, to see your faults, to see the garbage, because it's so easy that we play a game of, we like to pretend it's not there. We want to fool ourselves that there's nothing there to see that we're, that we're fine as we are. And that's what damns us and keeps us from ascending to higher levels is because there's no need to change. There's no need to grow. There's no need to progress because everything's already fine. And to me, in my life, one of the things I found when I, where I've experienced in light, it's in some of my most, moments that I felt like were of true enlightenment were moments where I was able to see myself as I actually was. And I will tell you, it was actually embarrassing because to be able to see myself I was like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that I've been acting this way and looking this way. And, and it was actually humiliating. But at that point I was free to change and, and to let some of those habits and characteristics and, and, you know, things in my life go. What well, I can't hear you. The yeah, fact that you can yeah, sorry, I had it on mute. Uh drop my mouse and it's too far away to pick up. <laughs> I'm manualizing. The the fact that you're even aware of this, right? And and that you can verbalize it shows that you, your level of development is is far higher. Because if you go back to these guys that uh you know, and I won't ever name them. Um, that's not my job to do that. But if you think about where they're operating on that list, right? Where are they operating on that list? Are they operating at at courage or willingness or acceptance? Or are they operating at fear and grief and apathy? And and so what it does, sort of having an idea of this, it gives me a level of empathy. And I, you know, it's okay for me to get white fired up about it. But I also, it gives me a great deal of empathy. And I think at, as you head towards enlightenment, that empathy level rises. You know, I feel sorry for people like, you know, for fear of getting political. I feel, feel sorry for all the people that are in these positions of power that clearly have no clue about empathy or any idea about how other people are living. I feel sorry for them. Like, you, can you imagine what kind of life that must be for them waking up every day? And being in a complete blur about how to go about being a high-functioning, contributing member of society who's spiritually connected to source. You know, there's one of my favorite quotes. I'm going to watch it. Is I mean, I love Alexander Schultzenitz, and um, 
But one of the things he that because as I was looking at this and thinking about it, the reality is I, I know that for me, I do this. You know, I, I'm I'm you know, there's been times where I've been very much, you know, felt very. Been very, uh, very in control of, of my of I've, I've, there's been times where I've been very much playing at a higher level. Let's just say that the spirit is leading. I'm playing. I'm operating at like close, close to my potential. And it's incredible. But I also know that then, then I come back down. I, I get I get prideful. I feel like I've got it. And I let go of, you know, I and, and, and I start to. So I do this a lot. And and so it's, it's, I will tell you for me, it's, it's, a, it's, that's one of the challenges I, I struggle with is, and I think that's one of the challenges in life is, is having less of these, you know, uh, drops or less significant drops and, and staying more consistent. But going back to Schultz, he says, you know, the line between good and evil, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to say, you know, politicians evil, you know, us rich people good. He says the line between good and evil divides every single one of us. The, draw, the line between good and evil, uh, what is it, divides, basically goes between every one of us. And he says, and it oscillates over time. Well, that line between good and evil, we all have, we're all part good, we're all part bad, we all have times we're higher up, and times we're lower up. And that's the challenge is it oscillates over time. And, and for me, that's the thing that, you know, but that's also one of the great things is if you if you if you know who you are and you know what you're capable of, and then you come back and live below that, you have this divine discontent where it and it's the same thing with bodybuilding, right? When you get that body, and then all of a sudden, then after you start getting lazy, and all of a sudden you start to look not so good, you have that divine discontent that drives you back up there. You're never satisfied being, you know. Once you've reached certain levels, and I think that goes the same with bodybuilding, and the same for this spiritual enlightened ascendment too. Yeah, one one hundred and fifty thousand percent. And if it makes you guys feel any better, because it made me feel better when I heard it, it's some ridiculous numbers. Like eighty percent of the global population operates below a hundred from fear, yeah. from fear down to shame. So, sure. but but. But that point, it's like if you are operating below that almost the whole time versus what you're talking about, and I know how, I, how I'm experiencing what Colby's doing, that, it, that we do have these moments. We do have these moments with these weak moments where we go and jerk off and, like, watch porn and, you know, whatever. But, like, but if you can, if you can get back and then continue that path, that growth, because once you become consciously incompetent, then you can start learning about this and all the people, all the work, all the books, all the stuff on Stoics, you know, that's all helped forge this man that you've become today and, and becoming a leader and, and Colby in your own way, you know, without having to go through so much of the trauma, your learning, your learning pathway was faster, which is great, you know, because it's rare. It's rare that people's mums and dads are still together that have functional relationships, you know? It sure is. And that's exactly with the consciousness. You know, one book that I read that I really liked, Power of Now. You read that? I think that is David Hawkins. No, no. It's Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, yeah. Oh, Eckhart Tolle, is it right? Yeah. Sounds familiar. There's Power versus Force, which is uh, David Hawkins. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Um, so I read that book. Uh, it's been 
five or six years ago, that changed my life, right? Because it, it helps you focus on who you are, who who's really in here, like Jason talked about earlier, what's inside of you, right? And not the outside. And that's what we all, and that's what we're talking about. Less, everyone's less than a hundred on that scale, right? They're living on the outside and not living within themselves to, to really see what they're capable of, of doing. And especially men, right? You know, I really honestly feel like there is, uh, that's not an accident. Um, the, the founder of our modern school system is, uh, is John Dewey. I don't know if you know much about John Dewey. Um, and uh, Fabian. Is that, the, is that the Dewey decimal system? That guy? Yes. Yes. Oh, that yeah. was a good guess. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I do know something. <laughs> Here, so here's what's interesting, though. So he is the founder of the, of the modern uh, education system. And what a lot of people don't know is he was a devout Fabian socialist. And the Fabians and the Fabian socialists, you can look it up online. It's, 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 it's a, it is a real organization. He, he was, I mean, he was self-avowed member of their organization. Their, their crest is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is their crest. And their objective was to destroy America. And they realized, and is, you know, they were a communist socialist organization. There was two schools of thought back then. One was, was, you destroy it through military force, which is what the Cold War was about. But the Fabian socialists believe, no, no, if we're going to destroy America, we have to destroy it from within. You have to, you have to do it through, through, the, through the educational system, through Hollywood, through, through the media, through propaganda, through the individual. So the whole modern school system is designed to create followers, to create people who operate at a low level, to discourage kids from and individuals from thinking independently, from, from being unique individuals. I mean, and if you really think about what the school system does is to a child, when a child goes to school at a, at a young age, why? Their, their mind is, is on fire to learn. Why this? Tell me why. They, they, you can't stop their hunger. You put them in school and all of a sudden, what happens to that hunger? Well, you, why is this teacher? No, no, we're learning this today. All of a sudden, their 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 natural independent curiosity is quelched, and it is becomes controlled, forced learning. The child quickly learns to hate it, and then the child that thinks independent, when the teacher asks a question, and the child child that has a, a unique question answer, is shunned by the class. Think about it. Was your kid? That's right. That's why we don't didn't do well in school. We were too independent, and and we were shunned from from that society. If you come up with an answer different from the teacher, you're wrong. If you come up, if you if you're unique from the class, we're weird. But we learn to conform. We learn to be like everybody else. We learn to play at the level of our, everyone else. And that is not by accident that we have a society of people that are at that low level of, of operation. Because the thing tyranny fears most is people like me, people like Colby, people who are tapping into their divine potential. Because people who tap into their divine potential are are limitless. And no tyrant wants a nation full of limitless divine people who are who are who are self-empowered. You're you are dangerous to tyrants. I love that. And this this makes me feel so much better for school. Not that I gave two tosses about my academic results, but the, the simple fact that I bombed out 
has allowed me to have this free thinking mind. And I love challenging ac- academics when it comes to some of the some of these topics. They get so caught up in you know six years of being regurgitating the same crap and I love the look on their face when I say something that that I've got from my own source that that challenges them and 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 I feel sorry for them because it's like some people put their whole academic their whole careers around this these ideas and there's going to be a lot of that and the only way to deal with that I think is by dropping ego what do you reckon the death of the ego is uh you know, most people don't experience it sober. You know, that's what's one of the things about different, uh, you know, psychedelics and, and uh, uh, mushrooms, whatever. You know, there's different drugs that, that give you experience ego death. Uh, obviously, you can experience it through meditation and through, you know, learning it. But most people don't, have never experienced it or even know. Again, we don't know. We don't know. So, you know, the death of the ego is, the, is, is a heart that knows nothing but love. I mean, it's, it's, it's acceptance. It's, it's a powerful, powerful feeling. And, and just a word of warning on, on this, on the psychedelics things, right? There was an incident that happened recently and I, and I won't go into too much detail now, but the person involved had done 30 ayahuasca ceremonies, right? And they, they came out and they verbally attacked and accused the person involved of narcissism. And upon reflection, there was no narcissism at all. And I spoke to a friend of mine who's a uh, she's a sacred clown shaman who does who's done thirty years of meditation. But she God never called her towards the plant medicine side of things. So she's done everything through breath work and the other mediums, right? And what she said was really interesting. She said there's a phenomenon that happens when people jump onto psychedelics without having done the work. And when you don't do the work on here, you have this spiritual experience, this this um, this supernatural experience, but you, you haven't done the internal work that needs to have happened before you can properly benefit from that. And it creates this disconnect and this like superiority complex. And if you've still got the ego, it turns the person into an absolute nightmare and a holier than thou. And, and she said it's very common amongst um, people in her community that, that don't do the work. So my – and I'm a huge fan. I've, I've only done it once since I've been sober. But I would highly recommend that you make sure that you're doing the work here before you really go and get stuck into this other stuff and because um, it, be, it can be a bit of a slippery slope apparently. Yeah, and one of the other things about stuff is if <clears throat> if you're not – able to master your emotions if you're not in control of of your thoughts you know you people can have really bad experiences on that stuff where they can their mind can run away with them and they can end up in in some dark dark places where quite literally sometimes they can't escape and it can't and i've seen i've seen people have permanent damage from that um so it's it's not something that should be taken you know lightly by any stretch of imagination. But um, but you know the other thing too, I've seen ego death personally in my own life. Just not only meditation, but we've got some like spiritual. When you have a very intense spiritual experience with God, uh, where, where where or or the divine, however you want to call it, where I mean you can feel that same ego death 
in in some of those moments too, where your heart just feels completely soft, pure, and you feel that pure love. So, so it's you know one of the things about like you know some mushrooms is it's you can have some really and crazy experiences, but I believe there's no experience you can have on drugs that you can't have sober because drugs, all they're doing is activating things that are already within you. And I think through meditation, through spiritual experiences, you can have a lot of those same experiences. Yeah, I agree. I've spoken to people personally firsthand that have done, that have had uh, similar hallucinogenic experiences through breath work and a number of other things. So um, if you are, if you are going to do it, find really find someone that you, that you trust with your life. Uh, get get some really strong referrals and like that lady, Dr. Roxanne Beck. You know, we, we did a private ceremony with her, and I've never felt so safe and uh, and protected in all my life. And um, you know, it's one of those things that I will keep on a very very infrequent basis because I don't maybe I don't even know if I needed to to do any more. And incidentally, maybe I told you this, maybe I didn't. I used to drink a pot of um, French press black coffee every single day at least for most of my adult life. And after that that plant medicine experience, which was five weeks ago, I haven't touched a single drop of coffee since, which I'm I'm pretty chuffed about. So that was a, a beautiful unintended byproduct. That was ayahuasca? No, it was uh penis penis envy was the, the mushroom because it looks like a penis apparently. Sure, and sure. uh it's one of the it's one of the most powerful uh visual psychedelics or psilocybin um fungi that you can that you can take we ought to have another podcast sometime on psilocybin on the, on the mushroom i think that'd be a fun conversation <laughs> well i think i absolutely think we should well i think now's a now's a good time to to tell people more about american masculinity and the and the, the network that you have is some of the other shows as well. This is a, an opportunity for a shameless plug. You have my permission. All right. Well, we've got a podcast. It's uh, if you go to We Are The People Radio. We actually have a, it's a radio show that we push out on uh, YouTube. We push it on all the major podcast channels. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, if you do a search for We Are The People Radio. And most of it is geared around uh, freedom. Uh, we, we have uh, our, our, our mission is simple. Uh, it is to save this country it is a stand up for freedom. It is it is to inspire regular people to stand up and play the role that we believe that they were sent to play in such a time as this. We, we live in, in I've had uh, people look, we live in prophetic times. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I, I've, I've asked so many people. So many people agree we live in, in incredible times and God did not send his second string for this fight. And those who are awake, who, who have eyes to see their job is they, they have more, a bigger role than, than sitting behind a screen in, in these times, they have a bigger role to play in our, and our mission we feel is to wake them up and to call them to battle. And whether it's men standing up to be men, whether it's, you know, we do an episode every Wednesday on uh, uh, called uh, God in America, where we talk about uh the importance of that God has always played in this country and will continue to play and the importance of bringing him back into this nation. And then we talk about issues, whether it's election integrity, whether it's, uh, I mean, there's so many issues happening across the country right now regarding freedom, Brazil, what's going on in Brazil right now. So we talk about regular issues and it's, you know, five days a week 
from four to six. And, uh, you know, the great thing about us is uh, that it's, it's mountain great. time. It's mountain time, by the way, for those folks listening. Out. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk to people like Laban Ditchmer. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. And we're, you know, like I said, we've just started this podcast back this summer. So we're just getting going on it. Last year, I was running for office. And, you know, the reason we did this is like we got to wake people up and we got to get people in the fight. Because we just need more people standing up and saying, hey, this isn't this. What's happening is not OK. You know, we're, we're, we are living in a time similar to the emperor with no clothes. We have a government telling us how things are, we're, you know, living by lies. And we need people to stand up and say, you know what, that's not true. And when enough people stand up for truth, truth prevails. Amen, brothers. Amen. Gentlemen, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to say one thing. I, I love that you showed that uh, triangle with um, um, the level of consciousness with David Hawkins. And if I could just add one thing to that, I think that in order to increase on any of those levels, it's all a version of the ego. If you look through them all, shame, guilt, apathy, fear, all, all of them, at what level is your ego dying? And when you get to full consciousness, you don't have an ego at a thousand, right? So at what point is our ego dying? I, I find it very interesting in doing uh, American masculinity too, because we, we've, we all fight the ego, right? And that's what men have big egos. And until you get to that awareness or the presence where you're at, right? That's when that's when your life starts changing. And that and that, and as Amer- and American masculinity, we try to get we're going to try to get men to that point of enlightenment. Um, Ditchburn, you're the man. You're the book. I mean, the book is amazing. If people haven't read it yet, they've got to get it. I've already recommended it to about a thousand people. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, laying in bed and I get a text from him. He's like, You got to read this book. And I'm like, All right. And you text me like it's been nice. Like, I'm selling it. I'm selling it. Yeah. So, yeah. Nate Layman, you're an incredible guy. You're, you're an incredible guy. And, and honestly, it's uh, it, it's been uh, incredible having conversations with you today. Incredible, you know having the last podcast and just talking to you on and off. So we're, we're blessed to know you. Absolutely. We need, we need more men like you. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I, I graciously receive and accept that wonderful, wonderful uh, compliment and, I, and it goes straight back at you. And, and I think maybe this is the beginning of something more frequent because these kind of conversations need to be, uh, need to be had on a far greater scale than us three jokers can pump these out. So for those that are listening, get on subscribe to, to American masculinity and we are the people that are doing fantastic work share like if you have a, if you have a burning desire if you've got a passion for this stuff as well create a podcast create a, pl- a platform where you can get your voice out because it, it, everything has a tipping point and and two two and a half years ago this was started out of a, a, a lounge room back in Australia on a 12 year old laptop with no resources in the middle of the strictest lockdowns of anywhere in the world and it's totally transformed my life. These guys are crushing it as well. They're doing amazing work. So uh, thank you for tuning in today. Gentlemen, we'll see you next time. Thanks for attending. Lots of love, guys. God bless. Thanks for having us.
It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.